0: Well, I'm not sure if gray hairs has much to do with maturity or not. But, um, yeah, I think I might have a few more than then. <clears throat> As I was on my first flight from Clarksburg, West Virginia, to Chicago, my mind was going down memory lane just a little. And Brother Deway had made mention of me being here back in 1997 in the summer helping Dennis Martin have some fond memories of that summer. Few a few memories that I have. This kind of goes back with uh Dwight and I again. I'm glad your song leader tonight got here on time. Some of some of you probably don't know that that inside story a little bit. I he had asked me to lead songs one Sunday morning and for some dumb reason I thought the service started at 10 and I got here and I thought I was in good time but all the cars were here and I'm like what's going on here and I walk in and church was already in progress and I felt about it, yay big so maybe my gray hairs did amount to a little since then um, so that's not such a It's a memory but not so fun, but yet we can Look at each other, and we can kind of chuckle and laugh and <clears throat> another another memory that I had coming up, and I don 't know if you all still do this or not, but I had the most fun fishing that summer. Did, do you all still go on your yearly fishing trips? Is that still something you do? Oh, you're missing out the the men The men of the congregation got together one Saturday morning, early one morning. And we went out some lake somewhere I have no clue, and we caught fish and that was the most fun fishing i 've ever had in my life that evening. Then we went to brother Arnies gre 's house and we did we skin the fish, and then we had a fish fry and uh, that was that was some good memories if you 're not doing that, I would encourage you to bring that one back back up and go fishing again. It's good for the congregation to to do a few things like that in the life of the congregation, and, and uh, I'd encourage that. Another thing that happened in that summer of 97, Dennis shared something with me that was very influential and impacted my life since, and that had to do with my wife. Um, he come to... I think it was at lunchtime or after lunch or after he got the mail. We were talking about things. And he goes, hey, by the way, Tom, I've got my first three-termer application today. I think that was the first year. No, that was the second year he had the, the three terms. I think 96 was the first year he had the three terms of Maranatha Bible School. And I said, oh, yeah, who's that? Just making conversation. And he told me who it was, and he said, it's an A1 student, just, it seemed like he couldn't hardly get done talking about how great this person is. And then he told me who it was, I'm like, hmm, okay. And sh- today she's my wife. And so that was, I don't know if God used that to kind of put some water to the seeds or not, but anyway. So we had, I have some good memories of, The summer of 1997. My goal this week is to be Christ-like in my preaching and my service among you. And Jesus' goal is preaching and serving was found in Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's my goal among you this week. No, I'm not Jesus. But yet, as a Jesus follower, that would be my goal to to lift you up, to encourage you, to help you break the bonds of bondage, if you are in bondage. Um, be of service in whatever way that can be a benefit to you all. That's my that's my goal, that's my prayer this week. Another prayer that I would have for us this week is found in Philippians 3, verses 7-11. to 11. But what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also counted all things for loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, From whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, But that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the life. And I trust that that is your prayer this evening, this week, that if if nothing else, and that is to get to glory, if nothing else, appreciated those songs that were sang and I noticed in both of those songs there was reference related to the idea of work, labors, cares, things like that, that can distract us and destroy our attention on God. Both of those songs talked about that. Can we count those things as loss for the privilege of being able to know Jesus Christ? And, yeah, I know how it is. You have lots of things to do. You have lots of cares to deal with. When you come to church, you tend to kind of think about these cares, and God is limited. Let's lay that aside For the knowledge and the excellency of Jesus Christ. Message for the evening. title of it is The Road to Revival. And I trust that that's where your goal is. The Road to Revival. How does revival happen? How does revival come to be? Turn with me to Luke 15 for a text passage. By the way, where's the clock? There it is. Gotta have the clock. Luke chapter 15. Starting in with verse 11. The parable of the lost son. And Jesus said, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me and divide them. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and journeyed joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say Unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he had yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hands, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatty calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came, drew nigh to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and called one of the servants, and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he who was angry would not go in. <laughs> Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he, answering, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou neverst Gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. As soon as this thy son has come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I don't know if you've ever thought about, you know, we call often call that the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, but who was the prodigal? Now, this is not necessarily the message, but who was the prodigal? When the story got all done, who was the prodigal? I don't read that the elder son ever repented. And so maybe he was the prodigal because he wasted a spiritual blessing. He wasted a spiritual opportunity. And that cost him far more than his younger brother. But anyway, that's, share that without charge. Alright, road to revival. The first step on the road to revival is this thing of conviction. We find that in verse 17. Conviction is being exposed to the truth, or exposed to the word. And that's one thing that my goal is this week, is just to share the word with you. I don't intend to convict anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I just want to be faithful in sharing the Word with you and let God speak and let God do the convicting. The conviction, being exposed to the truth or exposed to the Word. Verse 17 says, And when He came to Himself, He finally realized of where he was at before this we see him having a high time he had lots of money he had friends and as long as he had money he had friends but when the money ran out so did his friends and he was left destitute I don't we we all can maybe let our imaginations run just a little. Maybe he was evicted out of his house. Um, maybe he was put out on the street. Don't know. Don't have all the details. But at any rate, he was left with nothing. He was destitute. And when he came to himself, he realized the truth. And so before revival can start, we need to face the truth. We need to see ourselves as we are. Um, first step. The truth was that his father's hired servants were better off than he. He was the son of, I would assume, a fairly wealthy man, an heir. course he had asked for his part of the inheritance early and went out and wasted it so whatever his father had was no longer going to be his it was his older son or his older brother's inheritance but here he was sitting out in the pig pen probably some place that he never ever dreamed he would ever be he was in the pig pen and the scripture says that he would have, he desired he feigned, that word feigned has the idea of having a strong desire to eat what the pigs were eating, I don't know if there's any pig farmers around here or not but I don't think I'd be too interested in eating pig feet Um, the husks, in those days they probably just threw out the the husk corn or the the cobs and The only thing left was the cobs. And probably not very sustaining, but yet he was so hungry that the cobs looked like they might be something that he could get some nourishment out of. I get the idea, the feeling that could have been easy for him to think that nobody cared. Nobody. Not even the pigs, because the pigs didn't share either. Nobody cared. He was completely done. Don't know about you, but I've often wondered how close this man was to committing suicide. I mean, what did he have to live for? I preached a message one time on brokenness, and I've maybe used this passage, I'm not sure. And a brother came to me afterward and told me, he says, There's very little difference between suicide and brokenness. And I thought about that, we talked about it, and I've been thinking about that since. And I think he's correct. Before we can have genuine brokenness, or brokenness that is profitable, we need to be completely done. And that's where this man was at. He was completely done. Done with life. Done with making decisions. It's interesting that if you go back in the story, it it looks as if he was not interested in having his father be his boss. I'm going to go out and be my own boss. I don't need bosses. I can do the things I want to do. But when he became destitute, he was looking for some bosses, some people to hire him. Revival is when God speaks and we get pricked in our hearts, as it was when Peter preached that Pentecostal sermon in Acts chapter 2. And the people responded with, what shall we do? And the result was 3,000 souls being baptized into the kingdom. That's that's revival. What shall we do? Facing the truth. And that's what pricked these people in the heart. Peter had preached a powerful message that was convicting because they were faced with the truth and they were forced to respond. Saul of Tarsus is another one in Acts chapter 9. Verse four: When we have that bright light from heaven falling down upon him, and he is struck to the ground, and he hears this voice from heaven, saying, "Saul, Saul, while persecutest thou me," he was he was faced to, he was forced to face the truth. And later, in Paul's writings, he talks about this experience that he had and and his pursuit in perse- persecuting the church and so he he brings it up later on in his writings that that's who he was but he had to face the truth when when the truth was revealed and Jesus said well it's me you're persecuting and then he says well what do you want me to do That's conviction. When we're resigned to do whatever it takes to satisfy our spiritual authorities. The second step on the road to revival is confession. Viewing ourselves honestly in light of truth and acknowledging our failure, giving assent to the truth. We see this man in verse 18. He's, he's thinking within himself. He's, he's telling himself what he needs to do. In verse 18, he's saying to himself, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I have sinned is probably the three most difficult words any human being can ever say. I mean, it's just admitting to the fact. I have sinned. I have failed. I have come short. I have not lived up to the standard. He made no excuses. He didn't pass the buck. Like Adam did. We go back to Genesis 3 where God comes to Adam and Eve and Adam... He talks to Adam. He says, well, what's going on here? And Adam says, well, the woman that you made. So he was actually blaming God, wasn't he? God, if you wouldn't have made this woman, this wouldn't have never happened. Well, let's be careful, man. But he passed the buck. This, this prodigal son did not pass the buck. I have sinned. We often want to find some kind of reason or excuse or whatever you want to call it to justify why we did what we did. And I've had some experiences where someone come to me and challenged me about a certain issue, whatever it is, and, and uh, they didn't give necessarily me an opportunity to share my side of the story. But the reality is my side of the story didn't change the truth. And so we need to accept it and say, Yes, it was me. I'm guilty as charged. Confession is simply saying yes, I did it. David, when he was confronted with by Naaman, Nathan, the prophet, there in second Samuel twelve, verses one to thirteen, we'll necessarily read that. But God had sent Nathan to to David with a message. Well, he had a parable first. And then he pointed his finger at David and said, Thou art the man. What did David do? Did he do it like Saul and just kind of hem-haw uh, around and find all kinds of excuses? And No. He just simply melted on the spot and said, I have seen I have sinned. And maybe that's why the Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. And we, we sometimes shake our head and say, well, how could he be a man after God's own heart when he committed such a sin that he committed? But I believe what what why God said that he would be a man after mine own heart was because he knew that David was going to admit to the truth when the failure happened. And I'm convinced this evening that that's why David was a man after God's own heart. You read David's confession there in Psalm 51. And I don't see anywhere in that confession that he even blames Bathsheba one little bit. It's I have sinned and I have done this wash me, cleanse me it's a powerful confession Uh, taking the responsibility for actions that's what confession is so that's the second step to the road of revival we want to be revived we need to take personal responsibility for our failures and just simply say yes that was me the third step is this thing of contrition? It's repenting of wrongdoing. We see that in verse 21. Verse 21, he goes, verse 20, he arose, there was some action here, came to his father. And then verse 21, when they met, when he met his father, he says, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Contrition has the idea of, of complete sorrow. I'm not worthy to be a child of God. I'm not worthy to be a son in this situation. The second beatitude that we have in the sermon on the mount is blessed are they that mourn and that word mourn has the idea of have of having complete sorrow complete sorrow that's the idea of contrition the publican in Matthew 18 verse 13 where we Jesus tells a story or, or at least or maybe it was a true happening not sure just at the moment, but were these, the, the Pharisee and the publican went down to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prayed thus with himself, just going off memory here, and he had some nice things to say about himself. He fasted twice a week, he gave tithes, he, he was a good guy. The, the publican, scripture says that he no more would even lift his eyes up. And he just smote himself on the breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's contrition. Merciful to me, a sinner. David, in that penitential prayer of Psalm 51, verse 17, says that a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And that word contrite has the idea of to collapse or crouch. It's a little bit like, probably most of you have dogs. And if your dog doesn't do something right, and you kind of get after the dog, the dog comes slinking. You know, his belly is on the floor ground, and he's just kind of, you know, not too sure if he wants to get real friendly, but yet he need, knows he needs to obey, uh, kind of idea. And that's the idea of, of this contrite heart just kind of come you're you're coming but you're slinking and you're have a little bit of fear there the bible says that a broken and contrite heart god will not despise that's contrition the fourth step is commitment verses 18 and 19 he again is thinking to himself I will arise and go to my father say to him and he's got this nice thing commitment determining to do different regardless and I don't know if there was a little trepidation in this young man's heart as he thought about going back to his father what's dad going to say What's what's he going to do is he going to accept me is he going to tell me well you made your own bed go sleep in it is he going to what's he going to do this man considered his failure in the light of truth and made this plan for a reconciliation it didn't matter what his current employer thought it didn't matter what his father thought it didn't matter what his brother thought Because his father's lowest servants had more than he did. I'm going back and I'm going to disguise myself. And if I can get at least a job, I'd be better off than where I'm at now. He was fine with the thought of losing the right of being an heir. He was fine with the thought of being at his father's disposal. He was willing to take his medicine. In order to have something to eat. He was willing to do what it took to be at least back in his father's presence. And that's commitment. Another example of commitment we find in in Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Where Jesus was walking down the road and Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And so he climbed up in the sycamore tree. And Jesus walked under the tree and he looked up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house today. And then we know how the story went. What did? You, how did Zacchaeus respond after Jesus went to his house? And I don't know what all discussions Jesus and Zacchaeus had. We don't have that recording. Did Jesus talk to him about this thing of pilfering? You know, he was a tax collector. And he tax collectors were known to take a little bit more than what they should have. And they put the extra in their pocket. Don't know what all Jesus talked to him about. But when Jesus went to his house, verse 8 to 10, there in Luke 19. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I rest- restore fourfold commitment. I give half. Did, did this, did this revival that is that keyest experience, did it affect him? It looks like to me it got into his IRA or whatever retirement fund he may have had. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Commitment. How much are we willing to be at the brotherhood's disposal when we confess sin in our lives? Are we committed? To do what it takes to be reconciled to the father and his family. Too often the offended thinks he needs to have a say in his punishment. And I've seen people say, well, that's not fair. If I was the one that failed, then I need to be willing to take my medicine. We need to come with a cracked and crushed attitude. Coming as a dead man, submitting to what it takes to come to life. And that's where this this prodigal son, he came crouching. I don't know. Scripture says he he went back to his father. Whether he was, I I doubt he was running. He, it doesn't say he was walking or crawling. Um, So I don't know how he came. Probably walking, maybe with his head down, somewhat dejected. Don't know. Coming as a dead man, submitting to what it takes to come to life. I just want a job. The fifth step is conduct. Call for action. Doing different, never returning. The proof is in the fruit. Verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. There was action. If he would have never came to action, all the above would have been just a bunch of fanciful thinking. And thinking, yes, our actions start with thinking. But thinking alone doesn't get the job done. There's got to be action. Or there, he would have ended up with more discouragement, depression. Victory over sin calls for action. Changed action. Action that gives proof to a changed relationship in our spirits. It isn't what will others think anymore, but what will God think? What does God think about my situation and my choices? Jesus told the sinful woman that was caught in the act of adultery in John 8, verse 11, Neither do I condemn you. Did He stop there? No. He says, go and sin no more. And so her, her revival experience was going to be dependent on what she did from that day forward. And if there was no change over what she had been doing, she would have been still lost in her sin. Responding at the time of revivals or confessing audibly to sin and failure is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of victory. When we're willing to stand up and say, I'm done with this sin, I'm done with this conduct, it's a sign of victory. And it brings a change of conduct and a sign of conviction. It's a sign that God is in the process of sanctifying and preparing us for eternity. And isn't that what we want? Be, being sanctified and prepared for eternity should be our ultimate goal. And to be able to stand holy before the holy judge and enter, enter his holy presence with joy and anticipation. It's the person that doesn't make audible confession of the work of God in their life that will probably not be completely victorious. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so this week at revivals, I'm not expecting a a big turnout of confession of sin. I I I think you all are good people. I don't see a bunch of sinners, so to speak. But if there is sin, if there is failure, let's be faithful and confess them and, and get victory, get help, so that when Jesus comes, we can be presented blameless. in conclusion the father rejoiced because his lost son had returned and we see that great party that the father put on because his lost son had returned and may that be our the rest of us those of us that don't respond publicly in confession of sin let's rejoice over those that are are confessing sin and wanting to get right with God and wanting to Find victory in your lives. Let us rejoice when someone puts action or conduct to their conviction, confession, contrition, and commitment. Do you want revival? Are you praying for revival? Are you praying for revival for yourself? Revive me, oh Lord. I hope you are. I want to encourage us to keep praying for these meetings. I want to be led of the Lord in what to share. And I don't know. I don't know you and I don't know what your needs are. But God does. And I'm convinced that He can speak to us and revive us. I do want to open myself to be of your service. As I said before, I'm stuck here. My flight doesn't leave till Monday morning. And so... I'm not going to run off I so if you need someone to counsel with, I'm here um, there's ways to get a hold of my phone number if you want it uh, after the service, whatever it is, I want to be used by God for your service for your good.